0: We had finally bought the house with a view. We had great paying jobs, job security, you know, all the things that we worked so hard for, and we both felt so empty. We just looked at each other and we're like, is this it? Is this it?
1: Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Sadie Lincoln, to our show today. Sadie is the co-founder and CEO of Bar3, a fitness company focused on teaching people to be balanced in their body and empowered from within. Sadie was climbing up the ranks working alongside the founder of 24 hour fitness for over a decade until she realized she was in a crisis when she got pregnant with her first daughter, despite being financially successful, happily married and living in the dream house she always wanted both Sadie and her husband felt broken and empty inside and were longing for a sense of fulfillment and happiness. The couple decided to sell everything they had and moved to Portland with their two young kids to pursue their dreams of launching their own business. They opened their first Bar 3 flagship studio in 2008 and 13 years later, the company has grown to include more than 175 franchise studios, all powered by female entrepreneurs, plus an online workout subscriber base in over 98 countries. What started as a workout has blossomed into a full-blown movement made up of millions of people focused on body positivity, being empowered, and defining what success in fitness means. We'll chat with Sadie about how she managed to start her business with young children and why childcare is part of their business model, how embracing her very unconventional upbringing allowed her to dream big and be a risk taker, and why she's committed to empowering women to feel good in their bodies and live a truly authentic and fulfilling life. Welcome to the show, Sadie. My pleasure. I know we were chatting a bit earlier, but I had my first ever bar three class and I was so in awe of how intentional all the modifications were and the movement. So I'm definitely going to be a big fan and uh, I can't wait for our listeners to also try it.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love hearing that. Modifying is the key to have a good relationship with exercise. So that
1: means a lot. You're right in terms of having a good relationship because sometimes I'm like, this hurts. Why do I want to do it? But it's like really making it personal to you is what's going to make it a sustainable practice. So I love everything that you guys are up to. And I'm excited to jump into your incredible and windy story today. So on the podcast, we always love to start with the beginning. And Especially for you, you had a very unique and very interesting upbringing. I know you were born in a cottage with no electricity, with your aunties around, who played a very big role in your life. So I would love to hear more about your childhood and life growing up. Sure. Well,
0: like I often say, it was my normal, but I I guess according to other people, it seems abnormal. (laughs) But I was born in Taos, New Mexico. And you're right, an adobe little hut without electricity, my mom and her, what turned out to be lifelong friends met in their early 20s and the late 60s. They were part of the counterculture for sure in that they were questioning the way things were done in the past and reimagining their lives together. They ended up, for one reason or another, each becoming a single mom and raised us kids together out of part of it was just convenience right and being able to share and manage a home in a way that was very collaborative we were not in a commune they had jobs you know we just grew up together all of us and ended up moving to Eugene Oregon so there's five women and then us kids who are now in our 40s we all moved to Eugene and that's where we grew up we, we ended up not living together but living near each other my whole life growing up and still, you know, celebrate holidays together. My they're, they're my aunties, but they're not related to me. And their children, we refer to each other as brothers and sisters because we really feel that way.
1: That's great. You had such a big family around you from when you were younger. And honestly, it takes a tribe to raise children. So I'm sure that was such an interesting experience, just having so many strong female figures around you to help and raise all the children. So I think that is really fascinating. And something else that also stands out is your brother is also the co-founder of WeWork. And I'm curious, you know, your family clearly has raised and bred successful Driven entrepreneurial children. What do you think it was about your upbringing specifically that allowed you both to really be successful and think big in life and take big leaps? First of
0: all, my upbringing sounds really romantic. It sounds like a fairy tale in some regards, but there's always another side to that, right? That when I really investigate my story growing up, a lot of my unconscious motivation was to get out of instability. The other side to my mom growing up this way is they were like gypsies. We moved, I think we moved like 13 times by the time I was eight. We rented, we didn't own, we didn't have money. That was a choice. They were educated, privileged women that could have made more money, but they chose to not. (laughs) and um, that was hard. There was a hard reality to that. I remember going to the store with a note like that I could use the special money. It was food stamps, you know, for at our local place. And for the first time feeling shame around that, like my money looks different than her money. And my home was, I remember like being dropped off. One of my first friends in middle school, like his dad was dropping me off at, at our home and I told him it was someone else's home. And got out because I was too embarrassed to show in my home with like overgrown grass and like probably real grass, if you know what I'm saying, like growing in the yard. And, like, <laughs> um, you know, I was, you know, you never knew what you were going to get into when you came into my home. And so some of that was a motivation for me to get out and make a life for myself combined with being around empowered women who were imaginative and didn't go by the books. So that's the like fairy tale side, right? That was also really the beautiful side. They allowed me and Miguel, it's my brother, co-founder of WeWork, Miguel McKelvey. We both have a high creativity, high imagination, high risk tolerance for risk. We aren't worried about being poor. That is not even a thing.
1: Despite even growing up in an environment where your mothers didn't focus on money, you don't have any bad negative feelings towards money or being poor. If anything, I need to have a better
0: relationship with money because this woman who I really appreciate her name's Georgia Hesse. She has modernist financial. It's a very empowered model of financial relationship for women and creative specifically. She said that a lot of times people who grow up the way I grew up without money, we do all we can to go back to that place again because it's what we know in ourselves it's like i identify as being a poor hippie kid and she's always kind of that voice of but now you have money and that's okay use your money wisely use your money with your values be empowered around money our story growing up was like i mean our moms were proud of not having money it was our identity and so it's just good to be conscious of that now sure. that i'm in this place that I'm in.
1: Sure, absolutely. And it's great that you're even having the conversation about it and reflecting on it, which I think is every woman listening should also go through that process with their relationship with money. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing that you mentioned, despite the fairy tale aspects of your upbringing, you know, you really thrive to be normal. And I know you've talked about this in other interviews where you felt like the outcast, you were the weird kid, education and schooling was really tough for you. So I'd love to also hear about, you know, what was your education and what was like like for you in school?
0: The beginning years, I missed the basics because I went to alternative art schools. And when I got home, there wasn't a great emphasis in the institution of education. (laughs) So on top of that, I didn't have that structure at home and ended up in middle school with really low self-esteem because I was behind all the other kids. I was in remedial spelling. I had low self-esteem on top of it. I just didn't feel smart. And I ignored it because on the other side, I was confident. I was like, but it's okay. I don't need to be smart to be successful. I can do anything I want. The world is my oyster. That was the other side of me. Right. And I got all the way through high school Somehow I did not get good grades in high school. I didn't mean to take the SAT to go into college. I was not college bound. I didn't even think about college. And, but I knew I was going to do something with my life. But it definitely wasn't structured and it wasn't planned.
1: And it's so fascinating to have the dichotomy of one side of you feeling, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, but also knowing your potential in life and what you can accomplish. I think it's super fascinating to see. And, you know, I know after high school, you ended up moving to LA to pursue acting. And then you mm-hmm. actually got a pretty amazing job that changed the trajectory of your life at 24 Hour Fitness. So I'd love for you to walk through that journey because I think was a very pivotal moment in your life and really laid the groundwork for you starting your own company eventually. Yeah. Speaking of imagination,
0: I, Was in a couple plays in high school. And for some reason, I was like, I'm going to be an actor. And so I drove to LA to be an actor. I took one acting class. I was like, no, this isn't for me.
1: (laughs) We knew early on (laughs) that didn't really
0: work. What I really wanted to do was act my way out of my life. I think that's really, I wanted to reimagine my life. And Acting seemed like the perfect next step for that. But back to your 24-hour fitness, I act, I went to UCLA. I got into UCLA from Santa Monica City College. So I went to a community college, ended up getting good grades there, You know, academically turned on, went to UCLA. Then I went and got my graduate assistantship and master's degree in higher ed administration at the College of William & Mary. So I ended up on an education journey, which I think is important to tell that story because there's a lot of kids out there or moms or dads that are listening to this that maybe have kids that aren't going the traditional route, who some of us are late bloomers. You know, it just kicks in later. I have to remind myself of that all the time with a 17-year-old, you know, and a, and a 15-year-old. So, and then I landed my job with 20 Fitness. So yes, that was huge. And I worked there for 11 years and ended up working for the founder and then CEO, Mark Mastroff, while I was there.
1: That's super interesting in terms of how you weren't interested in education, but ended up really pivoting your life, but just realizing, you know, you were a late bloomer in your life. Do you think that there was something that shifted where you realized, I need to get my education together? This is important for the next step in my life. Did anything kind of change that you ended up pursuing it hardcore? Yeah, for me, it was a journey of self-esteem.
0: It was less about getting good grades or going to the best college, which ironically, I mean, I really did land really great universities, but for me, it was a a test of my self-esteem, like being an educated young woman felt really good. And looking back on it now, I think it's so sad in a way that I didn't have more structure at home because I think I would have probably been a good student all along and I really needed it to feel empowered. And that gem, that kind of idea of, wow, a love of learning is so critical to all of us women being empowered, all humans being empowered. And this world can be so disempowering. Sometimes it can be so hard. If you don't start out right, if you don't start out on that right foot, it's really hard to get a good education. So I feel very lucky that something inside of me clicked and it's what Powers bar three. We, we, we often say we're not a fitness company. We're an education company. It's about learning about your body, developing a growth mindset, seeing exercise as a practice versus a destination, learning, growing every day. Is a, and as an opportunity to learn and grow. It's why we franchised all of our owners. We're on this journey together, learning about, about ourselves through business. So in retrospect, it really did start back then for me.
1: Absolutely. And I'm excited to jump into bar three and the focus on education and why you guys leaned into franchising. But before we do that, I want to kind of unpack your experience at 24 Hour Fitness. So what an incredible opportunity to work directly with the founder, because I'm sure you were on a rocket ship of just the growth that you got to witness. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what you were up to there. Were you also focused on the education aspect? I landed a job when I was 25 years old. We were had about 24 gyms.
0: Um, by the time I left, we had 430, just to give you wow. a scale. Yeah, it was tremendous growth. And again, if there's any young professionals out there listening to this, one thing I did was I just bullishly kept marching into Mark Masdrov's office. I wanted to know him. I'm like, who who's the person that started this? Because I need to know this person, <laughs> you know. And I really think that. For some reason, we're scared to do that. And I know now in the position that I'm in, the, the team members who do that or the clients who reach out to me or who make that kind of effort to know me and to share with me their wisdom and what they can contribute to my company always makes a difference. And it certainly did for my career. Mark took notice of that. And I ended up getting special projects throughout the organization. I traveled the world. I worked on gyms in Russia and Scandinavia and China. And, you know, it's just a, an amazing, amazing experience.
1: I love that. And one thing that you mentioned that I just want to underscore is the power of, I don't love the word networking, but putting yourself out there, right? I mean, every job similar to you that I've gotten was through reaching out to people and being, you know, appropriately aggressive of getting yourself in front of them. You know, I was in banking and then I switched careers into tech. Everybody said it wasn't possible, but doing what you did, right? Like barging into people's offices or reaching out to them on LinkedIn, Instagram, you know, there's so many people out there who are willing to give you the Time and learn more about you if you have that fire and the interest to learn more. So, I love that because the job you had working under him is so unique. And I'm sure at 25 years old, the amount that you learned is incredible and the experience you got is incredible. So, those type of opportunities aren't necessarily on job boards. So, I, I love that you talked about that. And it wasn't about how much are you going to pay me? Will
0: I get equity in this company? It was truly about I want to grow and learn. Yeah, what is there I can do in this organization to grow and learn, how can I grow and learn, and he was entrepreneurial and liked that about me so you know I think that's important because then the money will come the equity will come after the passion.
1: Yeah, no, and we hear that quite a bit with other women on the podcast. So it seems like that's definitely the right way to go about things. And one thing you've also mentioned, you were really enjoying your job. You're at 24 hour fitness for about 11 years, which is a long time, but you experienced your first, what you say, your first crisis when you were actually pregnant with your first child. So although you were financially doing well, your career was soaring. I'd love to kind of unpack what you mean by that and how your life was at that time. Yeah, and
0: before I move on to that, I do also think it's really important to advocate what you're worth. I want to make sure that's that's clear. It's just in that stage in my career, I had no experience. And so it really was about growing with an organization. Yeah, I silently struggled for a decade at 24 Hour Fitness, even though I was growing and learning and um, rising up the ladder and, and had amazing responsibilities as a public figure in some respects for the company. I was silently struggling with chronic pain in my body. On um, the more I exercised, the more I hurt and more importantly, really negative body image. I did not feel good in my body and I struggled with it. And I was doing all the things I was in all the meetings, finding out the science behind fitness. I had all the support you could ask for. And I had the motivation because I was teaching classes and I was out in the world that way I was doing what they were saying to do. They right all the formulas, but I wasn't feeling good. And it wasn't until I was pregnant with my first child that I started to take all my knowledge, being an instructor since I was 19 years old. So probably that was probably like 12, 13, 15 years later, I started to take all that knowledge and do my exercise at home. And I was, I was starting to adopt an at home yoga slash fitness practice. And I would modify every day based on my delightfully changing body because I was pregnant for the first time. I, I learned to honor my body every moment because it was changing so quickly but in a good way. And that, you know, some days I needed to do child's pose for 10 minutes. Other days, you know, a flow felt good. I listened to her, my body. I I thought of my body more like a dear loved one. And I treated her as I would treat my now precious daughter, who's 17, who was growing inside of me. And that was a moment that I realized, Oh my gosh. I am not the failure. I'm not failing fitness. The way we've learned to approach fitness is what's failing all of us. Fitness itself isn't broken. Fitness is good for you. No matter what you do, lifting weights on the treadmill, doing yoga, bar three, whatever it is, it's all good for you. What's not good for us is our relationship with fitness and how we've been conditioned to exercise, to be something other than we are to be worthy and to belong. And that was my big, massive Eureka, like, oh my gosh,
1: I have to go out on my own and do something (laughs) and change the story. I was just going to say to come to an aha moment like that and go into work and still work at 24 hour fitness with, you know, people who are thinking in a different mythology. I'm sure that was really tough. So when, you know, what was the timeline for you to quit, to even pursue this somewhat idea that you had in your head?
0: Well, it probably took about four years to start bar three, but that's when we started to think about it. Both my husband and I, we opened our first studio in 2008 and we had two little ones by then. So Audrey was four and Drew was two and a half when we opened our first studio. The wheels started to turn. I started to really investigate it, do my research. And Mark ended up investing in our first studio. He's, He's our only investor to date. So he was really supportive of this new model of fitness and this new shakeup idea we
1: had. I love that. So going back a little bit before you guys officially launched, I know you talk a lot about, you know, the dynamics between you and your husband, you're the risk taker, the one who is not scared of taking any big leaps and bounds. And your husband is more methodical, right? About life and how he approaches the next step. So I'm curious, you know, you guys had a mortgage, like you mentioned, you had two very young kids at the time. What really prompted both of you just to kind of leave both of your successful jobs and start on this new life journey? Because I know he was also going through some personal stuff at yeah. the time as well.
0: Yeah, he was suffering from this low-key depression every day. It's like we had finally made it. I think that the, the thing we had in common is we had finally bought the house with a view. We had great paying jobs, some job security. We had two beautiful, healthy babies, we we're in the bay area we had a nice car you know all the things that we worked so hard for and we both felt so empty we just looked at each other and we're like is this it is this it and then the shame kicks in because it's like why aren't i happy if i ha- i've worked so hard for all these things that equal happy is it me are are we weird And we were always asking ourselves, like, why are we lonely? Why are we lonely as a couple? Why don't we have true community and connection? And most of our hours and minutes were spent in our careers. And that wasn't fulfilling to us. It wasn't soul work. So that's kind of was the catalyst is that alignment for both of us. And yes, I was the one that was like always making us move and always, you know, questioning everything. But I think when, when it became about our values, that's when Chris really clicked in and started to do some of the analytics around how will this work? You know, let's, let's build the performer and get going.
1: Yeah. And wasn't, I forgot the exact story, but something along the lines of how he had like an Excel sheet in his pocket. I'd love to hear more about (laughs) that because I think it's hilarious. (laughs) Well, he surprised me
0: with, the performa. We had been talking about it a lot on long walks and evening bottles of wine and <laughs> whatever it was. And then one day out of the blue, he pulled the spreadsheet out of his pocket and he had it all figured out. And that's how Chris is. He, he thinks about things quietly in his mind for a long, long time. But then when he's ready, it's like fully baked. Whereas I'm constantly processing and communicating out loud. And he had a whole plan to sell our house which we did on Craigslist. We sold it without a realtor on Craigslist. I do not. Uh, And use that money to feed our first studio in Portland, Oregon.
1: So before you got, I love that story. So before you guys got up, sold everything and moved. So you knew exactly that you wanted to start a studio. So the idea was somewhat crystallized. You guys moved there. So starting out, how much money did you guys, I know you said Mark invested a little bit, like how much money did you have to start? Because I'm sure that's also intimidating and a big driver to make it work, especially with limited resources and two kids you still need to support. I think
0: all in, maybe including the loan from Mark was just north of $200,000. And we used our money really wisely. We we went down to a, a rental home, one car in Portland, Oregon, which the cost of living was significantly less than the Bay Area. We put the chunk of change that we got from our house that we sold and a little bit of money from Mark. And we just... We, we started this, Chris did work for about seven months. It was his side hustle. It was my full, full full-time job, but he also had revenue coming in for seven months. And then we just made it work. You know, we just, we, we made it work.
1: And I know one thing that you mentioned when you guys first landed in Portland, Oregon, you started doing free classes. So I'd Mm -hmm. love to kind of hear what those early days looked like and how you transitioned it into, you know, your paid program that you obviously now have.
0: Yeah, we moved. I found a sweet little studio above a natural food store that had a ballet bar of all things, which is amazing. And I rented it and It was $20 an hour. I mean, it was just such a sweet deal. And I made beautiful brochures. I did spend money on the marketing and canvassed the neighborhoods. I mean, I went into shops and acupuncture clinics and places where I I knew my people would be. (laughs) And just introduced myself, introduced my you know, what I was doing and invited people in for free classes. And then I started to charge just a little bit here and there. And then as I started to build out the studio, I had images of what the studio was going to look like. And those founding clients got a sweet deal, which some of them are still on. Still on. on. Yeah. <laughs> and have like the best deal ever. But they, I opened my doors August 12th, 2008 at 5.45 PM. And
1: I had a client base because of that already locked and loaded. I love that because I think sometimes people are always questioning, okay, they have this idea. Then she opened up a studio. How did they gain traction? And just hearing the blood, sweat, and tears that went into creating those flyers, you know, guerrilla marketing, going into locations, doing free classes just to really build your brand. And I'm sure also fine-tune the way you approach the classes as well, which is helpful.
0: I think that I hear that a lot as well. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to go public yet to this day, we create in the moment. I'm a off script person anyways. Like I create best when I'm moving and doing versus staying static. And the other thing is I delighted in every moment of those early days. Truly, it was my calling. It was such a delight. And I love the creativity of it. I, one thing I did that worked really, really well is I hired a face painter I had little kids, so I was just always scratching my own itch. I'm like, what do I love to do with my kids? Like, I think it's so cute when they get face paint. Yes. <laughs> and we went to this local fountain where all the kids would play in the summer in Portland with, and I just sat next to the face painter who I hired. And it was like, just reeling in the moms they'd all come over <laughs> with their little kids and Brilliant. then I had and I had an opportunity to talk to them where their cute little kid was getting a butterfly on her cheek you know and give her a free class and tell her to come in we had childcare right from the beginning so that was a strategic ploy on my my part um, but those kinds of moments I had fun you know I think it's really important to have fun along the way.
1: Absolutely. It's funny. I was just talking about that now in terms of launching a new business. We're not out yet. We're coming out this summer. And, you know, it's so important just to just enjoy yourself because running and starting a business, and I'm sure you can attest to this, there could be really tough moments. And it's like, how can you always create joy every day just to enjoy the process? Right. And I think it's an intentional act that so many entrepreneurs should do because it's like, you're living the dream. If you're even able to, create something and bring into the world. So I love to hear you just really thinking about joy and having fun because I think a lot of people forget about that sometimes.
0: And do it your own way. Like it was in 24 Fitness Days we used to do like door hangers and free passes on people's cars and stuff. Like that just sounded awful to me. There was nothing authentic (laughs) about it's not me. It's not who I am. Like sales isn't my thing. But talking to moms while their kids get their face painted that felt very authentic to me. And I think you know, that's the cool thing about starting your own business and being an entrepreneur is you can choose joy every day. You don't have to do what other people did. You can truly do it your own way. There's thousands of ways to market, right? You get to choose you and that's really liberating.
1: It is. And you know, one thing that you mentioned, always had childcare in the studio. So you were doing well, you created demand by doing these creative marketing tactics to meet more moms. And I know at some point in the early days, which is great, you guys were very busy and you were, you talk about how you were nearing burnout at some point because you and your husband were managing everything. Your two kids were with you at the studio all the time. So how did you deal with such a difficult moment when you're really the face of the company and it's still in the early days?
0: Well, it was super messy. I was really tired. I was really honest with my clients to be, to be candid. <laughs> I remember one class I started laughing hysterically in the middle of class. Like I, I literally delirious. <laughs> <so> <laughs> completely delirious. I think I was teaching 19 classes a week. I was so just on little sleep as the fumes had run out and I just lost it. And, you know, and I don't know, in that moment, I think our community and our clients just wrap their arms around me because they're just like, you know what, we're going to keep, you've got this girl, you know, we're here because of you. And I really think people love supporting the owner, like knowing who that person is, who started something. And then for me, it was a huge aha that, okay, this is not the Sadie show. This is not about me. I need to figure out how to train and develop my team So that this idea I have about a new way to teach exercise lives well beyond me. It needed to be me for a minute. It did because I learned the whole business and it was so authentic that way. And then there was this, you know, continues to be this transition of this is not about me. This is really its own thing.
1: And at that point, when you realize that, you know, the business can only survive on you and you need to bring in more support, is that when you decided to go heavy on franchising or what was the pivotal moment where you decided, let's go forward with getting more women involved with this business?
0: Well, we knew that we went in with a full business plan to franchise, full written plan as if we were going to go out and get money, even though we didn't. It was a 60 page document that we, we really did do our research and thought, thought all that through. And that moment when I went delirious, and I was like, "Oh, that was more about my my studio that I owned, getting that team in place so that I could pull out and start to think bigger and scale the concept. And how we did that was we just put a tab up on our website that said, "Grow with Us," and started to take leads. Anybody that called, we we picked up the phone, we talked to people, we investigated different ways to grow with people who are resonating with the concept, which was basically weeks in.
1: Yeah. How did they get awareness of it? Like, how did they know to come to your website and grow with you? Were they, were the first franchisees, people who were coming to your class?
0: Yeah, they had visited Darcy and Bend had visited our studio and she loved it. And then Tanya Tan lived in the Philippines and she found out about us. Cause she lived in California and did a different bar program and started to research online, different bar programs Oh wow! and found bar three through that. And then she came out and visited us, her family visited us, and we ended up licensing bar three into the Philippines. That was our, actually our, technically our first deal, which, which was not part of the business plan by the way, yeah. <laughs> but we, we, it was wonderful. And it's they to this day, those studios are doing wonderful there. We have, I think seven studios there now in Manila, but yeah, it just, that's, and we, we knew that they were taking a big, risk with us because we were just starting out and they were really important to us because our first franchisees needed to succeed for us to be able to tell the story for other ones, right? Every single owner matters, every, you know, empowering her with the right tools and the right training and the right kind of branding to be successful in her market has always been important. But in those early days, it was paramount for us to be able to grow the way we
1: wanted to grow. And it's pretty amazing. I think now you have 170 franchise studio owners and they're all women entrepreneurs, right? 100%. Women owned and run, baby. I love that. That's so (laughs) awesome to hear. You know, one thing you mentioned previously, how important, especially in the early days that the owner should be the face of the brand, that people should really understand who's creating it, who's behind it. I know at some point you got pretty well known in that front in terms of you're on the world stage. People really knew you. And I know you felt that you kind of lost yourself at some point when you were really getting that media awareness. What do you mean by that? And can you share more about what that experience was like for you? Because you would think it's amazing and the best awareness you can get as a company, right?
0: Yeah. I thought it was going to be amazing, And I was, I was getting lots of calls for things like book deals and DVDs, back when DVDs were a thing. I was one of the first classes on Comcast On Demand. I was in Target with DVDs. I wrote a book with Prevention Magazine. I was on the Dr. Oz show. Madonna trained with me. Like there was a era of the Sadie show. It was the Sadie show. And I was delighted. My ego was delighted there was a piece of that. And also I was like, oh, and this will be so good for the business. But what wasn't good is just like when Chris and I had that moment when we're like, wait, we have the house, we have the jobs. Why aren't we happy? It's same thing with fame or being recognized. It's like, wait, I have the book deal. I have the DVD, but I feel so empty inside. Like, what is wrong here? This doesn't feel soulful. And for me, it was how I was being marketed and how ashamed I was that I took that bait in the name of marketing for all our owners so that we would have greater awareness. And we did get greater awareness from it. So I am glad I did it. But I would now with the wisdom I have, I would have stood up for myself more. Some of the projects I did, they photoshopped me so much. You can barely recognize it's me. They changed my eye color, my waist size, my bust size, my hair. I mean, my hair was brighter and took away all my wrinkles, my veins on my hands, which was the most disturbing for whatever reason for me. Because when I look down at my hands, I see my mother and I see my grandmother. We all have really veiny, double jointed, crazy hands. And like, I'm proud of them that's my heritage. Right. And it was moments like that, where it was just like, it was like, oh, you know, just little, little stabs. And, and I feel like they were all nudges from the universe to wake up and to be my own, you know, I, I learned my own lesson. I took my own medicine. It's like, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid right now and it doesn't taste good. And I need to stand up for what's right. So that was a big turning point. We ended up not selling the book that I had written because of the way it was marketed. We took it off the shelves and we put out a statement around no Photoshopping. Our core value committed to real, or practice authenticity became really loud. We put a real stake in the ground around that. So I think it really turned around.
1: Wow. That's incredible to hear. And I know at some point also, you know, when you were teaching classes, you were wearing makeup, your hair was done. And I believe your community was also reaching out, right? I would love to hear that because I'm sure that's a wake up call from, you know, your community. That's the sweetest part of the story for me. And this is
0: to this day, the reason people loved bar three is because we were so authentic and honest the way we, we opened our doors and the way we taught classes and not just me, everybody. And in our early days, we started online classes in 2011 and it was just so authentic. We would just talk to the camera, the ball would roll off set, we'd run and get it. We would, we would mess up and not stop. We just keep going. And clients loved it because it's like, I feel like I'm working out with a girlfriend in my living room. It's not highly produced. It's not perfect. And there's tons of modifications and you have all different body shapes and sizes. And, oh my gosh, you're talking about having cramps or like abdominals, your own abdominal separation or all the issues that were real in our lives, right? They love that about us. And so when we started to become polished because the producers told us to, and that's what sells, our clients were leaving messages in the comment board, like, please go back to who you were before. That's why I'm here. Don't tell me to work out to get ready for bikini season. I'm here to be strong and empowered. And that's who you are. Come back to yourself. That's what our clients were telling us. And they still keep us in check that way, which again, it's not the CD show. This is so much bigger. This is over a million women who are saying I deserve better. I want a sophisticated, empowered exercise program. That's not about the marketing machine. And that's something we're all really proud of.
1: Absolutely. And you obviously continue to execute on that mission, you know, years now into the business. And one thing I'd love to get your perspective on now, you're clearly many years in the business, the company is thriving, continues to grow. I know one of your competitors, Pure Bar sold a few, I believe a few years ago for over, you know, a hundred million. I would imagine at that time you have bankers knocking on your doors to go through that same process. So as the founder of the company, I'd love to kind of hear about the way you think about the success of the company and potentially exiting.
0: Yeah, because I was so so truly filled and happy with the movement that we are creating together as women. This idea of building a company to sell just didn't resonate with me. And also reevaluating business. Like the good old days, when you build a business for sustainable, resilient health for the long term, when you build a business to create a vibrant, diverse community, you know, where people gather (laughs) and are taken care of, where, you know, the owner, maybe the owner's kid is working the front desk, you know, like I value that that's the beautiful towns and our nation is built on that. And You know, when you look at all the companies that are sold, some of them do keep that. A lot of them don't because the motivation changes. And for us, we also weren't in a place where our systems and our model was dialed enough to that if I ever did sell, now I know that our entire system depends on us being highly attentive to every client that walks in the door. Our success depends on us living up to our vision and our mission. like the story of our client saying, I'm leaving you if you put on bronzer and tell me to get skinny for a vacation because that's not what I'm why I'm buying bar three, right? Now our business depends on us being real. And so if someone bought us, we would have to stay that way to give, get our, get their return. <laughs> and that's empowered like that feels good to me. You know, I have choice now. Be, back then we didn't have the systems yet to be able to really say that and now mm. we do. We still have no outside investment. We've grown on cash flow for 13 years now. Wow, and huge. I'm proud to say we've been profitable every year and that that's totally possible. And you know, you you manage your finances, you manage cash flow and you can grow a big company without without investment. It's possible.
1: Clearly what you've been doing without outside investment, you can really stay true to your values and grow the way you want to grow and build a sustainable company for the future, which I think is really empowering. And kudos to you to go through all the success and still stay very clear with your mission and your values, because a lot of people do lose that in the midst of success. So I think that's really huge.
0: I do think there's a, since like 2014 I think around when pure bar was sold so even since and there's such a movement around first of all more women in venture capital and private equity that's key and also men who support women in venture capital and private equity that's key <laughs> and then the third thing is people who really care about business as a way to heal and to add purpose into the world and there is money out there like that that's my hope, you know, at some point we would like to raise money because I want to do big things. And it's just, it's really having choice, being able to wait and find the right kind of money, the right kind of people to partner with has always been my goal.
1: I think that's a great point and a really amazing position to be in, in terms of the ball is in your core. You have the control to decide whether you want to invest or not. Because right now, the business is doing well. The cash flow is supporting the growth. And you want to find the right partner that fits with your mission and can help you get to the next level. So I'm really excited about your next step and Bar Three's future. And one thing I want to make sure we talk about in this interview is really some of the hardships and challenges. I know there was a lot of personal and difficult moments early on in the business that we talked about. But is there anything else that you see That you've recently had to overcome or a hardship in the business that you've dealt with over the past few years that really comes to mind that you can talk to us about? The first thing that comes to mind is it almost
0: sounds cliche, but it's so true. For me, it's been the biggest struggle for me is my own confidence. Back to me in high school without good grades, but looking successful. I mean, I was a cheerleader, I was in the school plays, I was well liked but inside I was silently struggling. Then I went to 24 hour fitness. I was a leader. I was traveling the world. I was doing all these things. I had chronic pain and I was silently struggling. Here I am at bar three, I've built a company. I'm a CEO, which apparently people love women CEOs. You know, that's a big thing. And I'm still silently struggling, right? So it's more about an internal confidence that has been my struggle and truly knowing in every cell in my body that I am not my company. My worth is not my success that you see on the outside. My words right now, if something's resonating, that isn't even my success, right? I'm just okay me without all this. And when I get to those places, when I have that little little sliver of like knowledge, that's also when I make the most empowered, smart business moves. So that, they do go hand in hand. But I find that it is a much bigger, much more challenging practice to have confidence in myself and in my instincts and in who I am today as a 48 year old woman. I find that that is my biggest challenge in business. And maybe perhaps why I went into business is to learn about myself. I, I really do see business as a practice of personal growth, if nothing else.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's really powerful. What you mentioned, are there any rituals or things that help you when you see yourself veering off and not feeling as confident to really get centered on your own instincts and feeling good about yourself and disconnecting yourself from this quote unquote success of the business, anything that's worked well for you in your life? Is therapy a ritual? (laughs) Yeah. Listen, whatever works. <laughs> therapy is huge. People need um, to get this stigma away from therapy. I'm like, we're in 2021. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Oh gosh. Therapy has, is the best thing I've
0: ever done for myself ever. The most spiritual connected, empowering thing I've ever done for myself is therapy. So I'm mm-hmm. in um, finding the right therapist, you know, is important. It's like chemistry, but that's huge for me. Another ritual I do is I've done this and I grew up this way. So it's something that's just really natural for me is every morning when I wake up, before I wake up, I, I remember my dreams and before I go to bed at night, I'll say to myself, okay, unconscious, give me a dream today that'll shed some light on this. And I usually have something like me being my struggle being a mother right now, or You know, whatever it is, like whatever is going on in my life, I I do ask myself to dream about, and it's not, it's not literal dreams are all symbolic, but I, in the morning, when I remember my dreams, I do sit there for a moment and really reflect on them. And sometimes I have a dream journal, I'll write them down. And it's an entry point for me for self-awareness. And it also helps me ease into my day versus just grabbing the phone and grabbing the coffee and off I go up into my attic instead
1: of (laughs) off to the office, but yeah. That's really beautiful. And what an amazing practice to do from your childhood. Just like think about what you want to dream of, put that intention out there and remember it. I think that's really beautiful. And I haven't actually heard anything like that before. So that's definitely helpful to know. You know, one thing I'd love to also get your perspective on as someone who is really working with hundreds of women entrepreneurs in your company, and I'm sure you also mentor many others, what would you say are some of the biggest mistakes or, you know, what advice do you have for any women entrepreneur who is? wanting to really take a leap and control in their life?
0: You already have the answers. They're not outside of you. They're inside of you. thousand percent. Yes, we need knowledge. We need a growth mindset. And we need people around us who believe in us and expand us versus make us feel smaller. Mm -hmm. And we own part of that, right? I own part of making myself feel smaller. That's something I work on. But I also can choose who's around me. And I know when I'm around someone that makes me feel like I can be my biggest, best self. And when I'm my biggest, best self, I know the answers are inside of me, right? And I think that we have to remember that again. It's not even about discovering that about ourselves. It's remembering that about ourselves. And I find that to be a daily, a daily practice.
1: I think that's so powerful. And it's funny because you hear that advice quite often. It's like, you know, really think about your instincts, listen to your gut when you're running a business. I never understood what that meant. But every day, now that I'm launching something, if you can just get really silent, which is the hardest part and listen to yourself, I'm like, now I know why everybody's talking about this because it's so powerful. And like you said, you do have the answers. It's just about trusting yourself and getting quiet to get there, which for me has been, a big learning process. So it's great to hear that's advice that you give to other women entrepreneurs or anyone really looking to take a leap in their life.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned, you mentioned just one little thing about childcare. I did have my two babies with me at the beginning with bar three, but I did have help. I think that's another pitfall is us women that are parents, moms thinking that we really can do it all at once all the time. And it's just not possible. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to... Shout out to childcare for those of you trying to juggle all that. It's impossible to do it all, all at once.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's a question we always ask our guests, is like, how do you manage, you know, both being a mother, a wife, and managing a business? And it seems like for you, you know, childcare was key even from the beginning, like it's part of your business model, right? Exactly, I l- yep. I love that. Well, I wanna be mindful of our time together and close on one question that we love to ask all of our guests. Wealth means so much more than money, and everybody has their own definition of wealth. At this point in your life, what does that mean to you?
0: The wealth in wealth is truly a sense of abundance. And for me, the idea of wealth in wealth is about abundance. It's also about knowing what is plenty and mm-hmm. what is enough. And that is again right from Georgia Hussey. You should look her up, um, Modernist Financial. She gave me that quote and I just love it. I have it up in my office. What is plenty? What is enough? Because that it helps, there's a sense of abundance in that with a boundary. Cause I think sometimes we think wealth is just more, more, more. And yeah, that's that's how I would define it.
1: That's beautiful because, like you said, you can always be on that rat race. No matter how much wealth, there's always going to be a next step, next step. And it's really keeping yourself reminded that you are already living an abundant life. You have everything that you need. And I think that's beautiful. We'll definitely link in our show notes. What was her name? Georgia? Georgia Hussey. Georgia Hussey. I'm excited for all of us to learn more about her. But Sadie, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your journey. I'm excited to do more Clat Bar Three classes. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for shining the light on so many
0: amazing, powerful women. It's awesome. It's glad to be a part of this.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny, and it's never too late to start your own empire.